Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the final fall, the Well, my friends, welcome to Agitators Anonymous Tuesday episode. This is a call from the grave episode. It's a career retrospective discussion of the band Death. Last week was Morbid Angel, so why not stick with the heavy hitters? Why not keep rolling out the big guns, the heavy artillery, so to speak? And there doesn't come um, much heavier than death in these terms, in these death metal terms. So this is just... Um, I look back at the career, uh, various stories, anecdotes, this and that, bit of gossip, bit of chat. You will have to forgive my um, little coughs every now and again and the odd sneeze or sniff or whatever. Um, I have a bit of a chest cold. Apparently, camping in Ireland, when you go camping, it's still bloody cold at night and very damp. And look at what are you going to do? Um, so... Yeah, there's a few sound issues here and there, but um, I would be very grateful if you could overlook them in the name of death metal. My friends, without further nonsense, prevarication, proliferation, prognostication, um, procrastination, here is me talking about death. If you want to see my stupid face doing this very thing, Go over onto my YouTube channel and follow me over there. Until Friday, we shall meet again. All right, let's do it. Who are we going to talk about today? Well, you know who it is. Death. Um, Seeing as the last call from the grave, Morbid Angel, uh, was pretty popular. Popular. Um, and thanks to the official Morbid Angel Instagram page for shouting me out, which is great. Um, helps move the numbers on the dial. So, you know, this is going to be uh, also Tuesday's bonus podcast, but let's talk about death. Um, I guess if I claimed that Morbid Angel were the greatest death metal band of all time in the last episode of Call from the Grave, 
I think really Death is maybe the only band that can push them. I did say that the, you know, um, four Morbid Angel albums from Altars of Madness up until Domination were like maybe the greatest four period in a row. But the reality is, and I've said this in the comments on YouTube for people asking me to do various bands, say like Immolation, um, or I don't know, take a band like Incantation. Um, I mean, Immolation, as an example, is very, very steady. Like their albums are all generally between, for me, six, seven, and nine out of ten. There's no low point, there's no change of style particularly. So they don't present peaks, hollows, and troughs, whatever you want to call it. Troughs? Anyway, peaks and hollows to discuss properly because they generally are on a very, very um, even gradient. Whereas with death, there's enough changes in styles to make it interesting, and of course, the drama of the, um, the st you know, the whole story of Chuck's life and that kind of thing is very interesting, and very tragic. But there isn't really, let's you know, put it out there, there isn't a bad death album. I'm going to give all of these a great review, but you know, let's go through it. Let's go through it. So death begins as a uh, mantis in 1984. Um, I just wrote a piece about possessed for Zero Tolerance magazine. I might do. Um, I possessed one of these, but there isn't that much to talk about unless you get into the two demos from the 90s as well, which is possible, of course. But um, <clears throat> who was the first death metal band? Um, was it death? Was it possessed? I mean, you know, they're both. I mean, the possessed demo is called uh, death metal, I guess, from 84. And um, deaths is called death by metal. So they're both kind of vying to be the first. It's just that so happened that Seven Churches... Of course, is 85. This is Scream Bloody Gore. This is two years later. So, Possessed Seven Churches kind of gets the released um, jump on everyone. It's the first real, I suppose, recorded output. You can disagree. Put them in the comments. No, it's genocide, or no, it's I don't know, whoever it is. <coughs> no, it's... I don't know who you're going to say it is, but it's hard to argue that Seven Churches isn't the first... Death Metal album. Is it Death Metal or Thrash? Listen, there's a song in it called Death Metal. What much, you know? Could you get more Death Metal? Could it be any more black? Well, anyway. So, Death starts as Mantis, which is, of course, the, you know, Mantis from Venom's name. I mean, you get your idea of where Death is coming from already. I used to have some great rehearsals of Death. I don't know what happened to them. Both of them traded them somewhere in the late 80s. A great rehearsal must be from 84, 85, and they're, they're playing Paranoid, they're playing Hit the Lights, they're playing um, Venom, Schizo, um, Poison as well. Uh, really, really cool. And Chuck, uh, in the in, in rehearsal, introducing himself as Evil Chuck. Um, so, you know. Um, but after a few false starts, I think in um, 86 they attempted to record this, and it was uh, aborted. I don't know whether whether any recordings of that ever actually exist or not, that 86 recording, somebody can no doubt tell me. Um, but before that, you've got, um, of course, the Back from the Dead demo, which is like Rick Ross and Cam Lee and that kind of stuff. Um, after Infernal Death tape, so I guess you've got the you know Mantis Death by Metal demo, then you've got, um, you know, back in those days, bands were working their way up to an album. They didn't just go a few things, album straight away. I mean, Death did... Um, I think three demos, really. Um, and you've got Rick Ross and Camley, who then went on to form Massacre after leaving Death. But um, 
Chuck made the, I mean, his life seems to have been pretty crazy for such a young guy, moved to Canada to join Slaughter. Um, if you don't know Strapado by Slaughter, got to check it out. That's some heavy fucking record right there. And the guitar tone, I think you could easily say influenced. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got the Lurgy or maybe the Lumbago, possibly the Ricketts also. Um, it influenced Left Hand Path and Dismember, there's no doubt about it. That is the template, Slotus Strapado, for that, um, you know, boss heavy metal tone, whatever you want to call it, heavy metal pedal, Swedish distortion sound. Um, so, Chuck goes to Canada, Chuck goes to Canada, um, you know, returns two weeks later to Florida, and uh, it seems here that he met 17-year-old. Chris Reifert. I mean, the mystery of John Hand was a kind of a meme before memes existed back in the day. Who was this guy? Doesn't play on the record. Nobody ever knows. Is it just Macaulay Culkin in some sort of time machine, Stranger Things, the kind of, you know, um, I don't even know what that means. Either way, good old John Hand. Whatever happened to him? <coughs> I have to admit, it always bugged me. Chuck's t-shirt bugged me as an angry teenager. I was like, why is he wearing a t-shirt that looks like a rockabilly t-shirt? Exactly, you're that kind of you're that kind of precocious teenager that you're giving out about um, death. Anyway, so they went to Randy Burns, who was pretty famous, to record Scream Bloody Gore. Now this is a full mark album. This is a you know absolutely pivotal uh, record in the scene. This is the original record, um, which I always it always bugged me that they kept two songs back, Land of No Return, and um, Blah, 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 yes. Beyond the Unholy Grave. I had to stop there for a moment to go, oh. Beyond the Unholy Grave is my favorite song from Scream Bloody Gore, and yet um, was held back for, I think, the Speed Kills compilation, which seems insane to hold back Land of No Return and, um, you know, Beyond the Unholy Grave. But yeah, this is, this is absolute, like, Stonewall seminal. Well, arguably, if you somebody met somebody in a bar and they said, ah, the greatest death metal album of all time is Scream Bloody Gore, I mean, you know, I would find it hard to argue with everything. Ed, Ed Repka, classic, classic artwork. I mean, it's so fucking killer. It just says all you need to know about the record. Um, I mean, there are... I did say this in the Possessed um, article that I was doing, is that you can still hear some speed metal and heavy metal, especially on... Um, you know, maybe, you know, Zombie Ritual, especially Evil Dead, um, still sounds like, you know, Venom, Exciter-style speed metal. And there are touches of heavy metal, of course, as we will go on to discuss, that Chuck lent more into as the years go by and became more and more heavy metal. But they're hard to find on Possessed Seven Churches. There's not so many um, straight-out motorheading Venom uh, exciter new Age british heavy metal riffs possessed is kind of leaning into something i think uh, even at the time even though they didn't have such you know they were all young but they didn't have such uh, maybe dynamics as death yet at least in the performances because i mean refrit kills it on this record i mean he's 17 and he, he just kills it completely um but you know where in a way that mike sus didn't i think mike sus was 15 when he made seven churches so Reefer at 17, I mean, it just shows to show you the crazy age these people were and, and they're being so creative, you know. Um, <coughs> but, uh, yeah, recorded in the Music Grinder, LA, in 1987. I mean, this was the time when there were other recordings 
of albums, you know, whether it's Master, Massacre, um, Repulsion and stuff, were going round record labels, but generally death metal was viewed kind of as a little bit too extreme just yet, even though it was bubbling up in the underground, you know. Um, and yeah, this is widely considered, widely considered, and in, which includes me considering it an absolute stonewall um, classic. The tone, I mean, listen back to this huge drum sound, huge guitar tone, again, something that's missing from so much modern heavy metal, and that's because things aren't recorded in a room as a band live with, you know, amps, um, you know, the hum of the uh, amps and, you know, real, real drums, not cutting and pasting and quantizing and grid mapping things and triggering everything. This is a real sounding death metal record. I don't know if you can make a death metal record that sounds like this kind of thing anymore. Um, because it's sort of a lost art, this analog process. Um, I don't even know if Randy Burns still makes records, but Scream Bloody Gore gets full marks. Um, and, you know, you will find the story of, um, the story of death. I mean, how many people were in death over the years is insane. Um, the lineup, um, the lineup rotation is insane and this usually points to somebody who's at the helm of it and being a bit like a Dave Mustaine or something like this and being what shall we say perhaps a little bit hard to deal with um and you know you can read into that the fact that Primordial are still the five same members as 30 years ago so I must be a piece of cake to deal with sorry Chuck for placing myself in the same um you know there's the shelf as yourself just there shelf as yourself anyway so <coughs> We get then the consolidation of the death lineup from 87. Re Reefert uh, doesn't stay with the band. And um, we get Leprosy. Uh, this is, again, full marks. Um, I remember walking into the record store in 88 with the intention, I think, of buying Bloodfire Death or something like this by Bathory. And, it, it, of course, initially, the pink, the pinkness of the cover is just striking. I mean, as as a piece of artwork, it's again staggeringly brutal. Edward Repka um, is really outdoing himself. Very few. I don't know any record that really looks like this. Um, obviously, except for the newer gruesome records or whatever. But and you'll notice the T is still an inverted cross. It slowly began to move up over the years and become slightly less evil as time goes by. <coughs> but this is. Um, this is engineered by Scott Burns, and I think uh, Scott Burns started off with Sabotage, I think, first few Sabotage. And it's a strange record in the sense that it could, it has a very overbearing, almost digital triggered drum sound. Um, very, very strange sound for the time, but somehow it doesn't seem to have dated that badly. It's, it's sort of added to the, um, the sort of grotesqueness of the records. I mean, choke on it, left to die... Um, born Dead, these are fucking nasty, rotten songs, um, not rotten songs, okay, but the vicious, razor-sharp riffing, it has a sort of aura of n nastiness, this record, that in 1988, I think when you took this off the shelf in the record store, your average Testament fan would be like, oof, like, there was that division between thrash and death metal fans, this was just not where the death metal or the thrash metal fans would go, um, they wouldn't go to leprosy. Uh, Malleus Maleficarum by Pestilence came out the same year. Most people don't realize that Pestilence is one of the first bands to get to the death metal on vinyl. Um, Inferno Magisteel is still pretty thrashy. And Possessed by 80, 
8 has morphed past into the eyes of horror but this really was i think the you know in I'm going to use a terrible pun there on Possessed, but this really is a horror, horrific record. <coughs> the vocals are off the charts, like off the fucking charts extreme. Um, say the shirt, demo shirt on the inside, very nice chemical exposure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's again a full marks record. Um, it was a game changer back in the day. Don't forget, this is a year before you get Altars of Madness. Um, slowly we rot seven survival which were always super important records i think it's also the first time the band came to tour europe because i have a i don't know why quite why i have this but this would appear to be how cool i think i bought it for how cool is that fucking cover somebody wants this to make a bootleg shirt of i approve um this is live in germany 1989 um i was never a guy for buying too many bootleg records back in the day which i regret now, because you used to be able to find easily in a bunch of, you know, kind of like flea market Dublin shops in 89, 19, all those Bolt Thrower, Morbid Angel, 91, I guess, Napalm Death, Carcass, um, Bootleg, <coughs> live shows, many of them um, from Cardiff or Wales or something like this. They were like called Head Crusher or something, somebody can tell me. Um, I kind of wish I had the Morbid Angel ones, um, as I talked about them in the last time on having them on cassette. But... Um, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a brutal, uh, you know, really, really brutal um, bootleg. And Death, by now, by 88, were two albums ahead of all of the competition. Don't forget, like I said, Morbid Angel hadn't managed to get a record out yet. They were ahead of everyone. <coughs> Don't worry, you can't catch anything over the screen. Well, not yet, anyway. Or maybe that's the next big thing. Hmm. Anyway, um... Again, full marks to Leprosy. It's a, it's a horrifically dark record. And I think that's one of the things that goes um, slightly, maybe unnoticed, is that Scream Bloody Gore still has a kind of slightly gory, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to call it juvenile, but, you know, sacrificial, sacrificial cunt. Um, an element of, you know, being angry teenagers about it. Of course, it's that's what's brilliant about it. Um, the brilliant toxic masculinity on display. Um but things started to get darker when we get to leprosy. There is an element to the songwriting dynamics, like Open Casket, for example. That's a, that's a horrific song, like truly in a kind of foreboding sense. Stick that old vinyl on and put the, crank it up and, you know, choke on it, left to die. Pfft, dark, dark stuff. Um, and then the band sort of disappear. The lineup again gets rejigged. We get, um, I don't have this on vinyl. Um, I bought it on cassette back in the day, and most of my cassettes have gone missing, gone AVOL. Um, Spiritual Healing is an interesting record. Um, <coughs> I think it's the weakest of the first couple of records. Um, I know for some people it's their favourite. It is a brilliant record, don't get me wrong. I would probably give it 9 out of 10, rather than full marks as the last two got. Um, I need to bring up some little marking system there in the corner. It's it's where Chuck is obviously pushing the boundaries into heavy metal. What uh, his playing is outstripping the talents of the band. Even though you know, um, even though the guys are competent, uh, Bill Andrews and Terry Butler, um, they're not. You know, they're not keeping up with where Death are headed musically, especially James Murphy, um, who went on to be in Cancer and all sorts of other bands. 
pulls out a star turn on this record. The solos are amazing, whereas before, you know, Rick Ross was very much from the sort of Kerry King style of guitar playing, um, <coughs> which certainly added a, a tone to leprosy. Um, James Erf Murphy adds a craft. Um, and it must be said, the lyrics here are fucking nasty. Living monstrosity is just, you know, she's a stupid bitch, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's some really, really angry, dark lyrics, low life, spiritual healing, smashing out at um, religion. There's, Chuck is beginning to move into this sort of, um, and this is one of the things I think goes understated about death and the lyrics, even to the end, even though he appeared to be such a mellow guy and, you know, we all the, everyone, you know, this, I, you know, this, I, you know, I like puppy dogs interview, which drove everyone who was into death metal nuts and his sort of, um, sort of calm demeanor. The lyrics were always really, really nasty. Um, I mean, there's an element of misogyny, one could say maybe to Living Monstrosity, and in lyric, and here and there in other lyrics. Maybe I'm reading something into the lyrics that are not there. Um, perhaps that was a, 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 a broad and unjust claim. But I do admire the hatred on display, and that's what you want from death metal. Um, again, like I said about David Vincent with the, the D calling him the DO of death metal, the diction, every lyric that Chuck spits out, you don't need a lyric sheet. Um, and that, I, I love that. I, I still look for that when I listen to, unless it's of course something really like grave miasma, you know, where the lyrics are kind of a texture. <clears throat> but back then, you know, the cover, I must admit back in the day, put me off that death went from pink to blue. Um, it didn't put me off, but for some reason I found it just very colourful when I was beginning to look for... This is 1990, so I'm beginning to look for Rodden Christ demos and Master Hammer demos and things that are photocopied in black and white. I'm less interested in um, the colour scheme belonging to spiritual healing. And, but the T is still an inverted cross, you must note. <coughs> now I will say, this is the year, the year where I saw death first. And it was the ill-fated tour with creator, um, where Chuck, it would seem, just didn't get on the plane, didn't arrive. And so um, what seems to have happened is they, Bill Andrews and Terry Butler have arrived. They've co-opted, I think, Walter Thrashler from the band um, Devastation or uh, onto Guitar, who was a tour, uh, working on the tour as the guitar tech. And they've hastily learned songs from an eight-song set from Skew and Bloody Gore and a, a song or two from Leprosy, I think, pulled the plug. And some some random guy sing, sang sings on the tour. Chuck just didn't go on the tour. And, um, you know, I remember the singer going, you know, Chuck is at home wanking his dick off, doesn't want to come and play for you guys, blah, blah, blah. <coughs> but look, if you're going to get a guy to replace Chuck, at least find somebody who can sing death metal vocals. The guy sounded more like Mike Muir trying to sing over death. Yeah, it was disappointing. Um, and it was a big, big tour that death just sort of bailed on. And for whatever reasons, Chuck um, just became known as being difficult to deal with. I mean, it's, it says that he you know, claimed that the tour was poorly organized and not and all this kind of stuff because they'd, they'd come to Europe in 88 or 89 and hadn't been treated very well. I don't know. Seems ridiculous. I mean, Creator is a big band. They're on Coma Souls at this point, um, and it seems like a big opportunity uh, lost. And I think it took years for Death to recapture that 
um, you know, the kind of faith between them and their fans because we'd waited quite a long time to see death and then to be treated to what was essentially a covers band. Um, yeah. Well, either way, spiritual leading, just a little bit less, I would say, than um, I would give it just a little bit less than the first two. And here is where everything shifts, everything changes. Um, and you get human. Um, and this is where I actually saw death. I saw death finally in Dublin. I'll talk about the album now in a moment. But the band disappeared. You get Chuck Change in the lineup, um, Paul Masvidal. You get Steve DiGiorgio and Sean Reinhardt, um, Steve DiGiorgio from Sadis, um, who, by the way, made one of the greatest records of the 80s, Chemical Exposure. Absolutely incredible. But I'll talk about that. I don't know who knows when or where I'll talk about that. Give me a platform to talk about Sadis Chemical Exposure. I'm up for it. Um, Masvidal became an official member, Sean Reinhardt. Um, but you've got, I think, Scott Carino maybe played the bass on the tour. They, they, were, they were confirmed for two nights in Dublin. Um, Saturday and Sunday, if I remember correctly. And they were playing with Reanimator, who we obviously all hated um, and just couldn't believe. Re-fucking Animator with their stupid googly eye logo-y kind of funky album cover crap. Um, we were annoyed, death metal fans, to say the least. Um, but death cancelled the second night. I don't know why. Maybe poor ticket sales. So we got them for one night. And they just let everybody in with boat nights into the one night. So, like, the whole place was oversold by a couple of hundred people in a venue called McGonagall's, um, just on, off uh, Grafton Street. If you've been to Dublin, Purcell's Bar, it's the parallel street at the end. I think it's now a barista um, cunt training blah, blah, blah place or something, like fucking everywhere. Um, but it used to be a cool venue, it, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, loads of... Um, old great bands played their Rose Tattoo and, you know, all the old early post-punk bands and stuff. Um, just disappeared, of course. <coughs> like everything. Like everything, old man shouts at clouds. However, anyway, they played, um, they arrived, and arrived late. Uh, I think they got, they missed the ferry. So they arrived while hundreds of people were queuing outside and they arrived on the bus and waved the crowd and everybody freaked out. And But, at the, in the end of the day, they only played eight songs. They were a bit rushed. And it was bizarre. I just remember watching them. And you had Masvidal and Karina wearing sort of multicolored tie-dyed clothes, windmilling. And, I mean, the guitar with no headstock, which I still hate the look of to this day. And, and Chuck just standing stone still and staring out over the crowd. <coughs> eight songs. Oh, we got Loud Blast in support. That I remember. What the fuck am I going on about Reanimator then? That must be another show. Um, my COVID brain, mm. um, either that or the Lurgy or the Lumbago, whatever it is. Um, yeah, where have I, I've un unnecessarily given Reanimator a little kick in the ribs there. Um, but no, it was Loud Blast because it was supposed to be, um, Loud Blast, actually Pestilence and Death, I think. Pestilence weren't there. Loud Blast played four songs, I think. Death played eight. So it wasn't really Death, death. like it wasn't really a full set. And afterwards, oddly enough, Chuck came out into the crowd and we met him, me and my friend. Um, standing around by the merch with his uh, his towel on. And I just will never forget this girl kind of come up to give out to him. Oh, you only played eight songs, blah, blah, blah. And he's, he went, he said, bitch, change your tampon. Which to us as teenagers, we were like, oh, what the fuck? 
okay, that's a bit spicy. Um, hmm. Anyway, <coughs> Human, utterly brilliant record again, and it just changed the game for death metal. I think it it just put the bar that bit higher. Um, again, I don't have it on vinyl. I just have the CD of it. Um, it, it really just set a new bar for technical metal and the performance. I mean, Reinhardt is just off the charts on this record. De Georgia as well. I mean, it's just a brilliant record. Uh, but it's also, it's got, it's hooked in with uh, choruses, catchy songwriting hooks. Um, Suicide Machine, of course, the, the video was um, Flattening of Emotions, Lack of Comprehension. I mean, there's so many good things, so many good songs on this record. Um, and oddly enough, as I became... At this time, 92, I guess I was more and more into black metal demo stuff. I never gave up on death, despite the fact that my um, listening choices were probably more Fallen Angel of Doom than um, Watchtower, which no doubt death were listening to. Um, I still stuck with death uh, throughout these, mainly throughout these years. <coughs> well, and um, it's a brilliant record, human. I mean, I personally, of course, I don't like it as much as I don't like it as much as Leprosy and Scream Bloody Gore. But I mean, you can't really fault it. Uh, other than that, just might not be to your tastes. Now, for some reason, I can't find my copy of Symbolic. Of course, I'm very organized with these things, you know. Um, all right. Individual thought patterns. Now, I did just say that I'd kind of stuck with death. Um, and it is kind of true, but this is the album that probably uh, means the least to me. It's my least favorite, I think, of all the Death albums. Uh, I know some of you are going to be fucking going crazy at me in the comments. It's got Gene Hoglan on it. It's got Andy LaRocque, I mean, from King Diamond. Um, you know, it's it's got, don't get me wrong, it's still fucking great. Um, Trapped in a Corner, The Philosopher, of course, Overactive Imagination, um, I think it's mainly because I think of this and Symbolic in the same sort of time frame period, and Symbolic is the one that really kicked me back into death. Um, they, I kind of pair them together, um, and death were really on some other uh, sort of plane of existence, moving technically away from a lot of uh, other death metal. Um, they, also, his voice is changing. It's getting slightly higher and more melodic every time. You know, if any of you know Sound of Perseverance, you'll know the Painkiller cover. I think, I think in many ways, Chuck Worley kind of, at this stage, probably wanted to be a guitar player and not be stuck with the voice, the Chuck voice, you know. Um, and that's, you know, that's, it's not, um, it's not a surprise that it moves more and more towards heavy metal and more away from death metal. This is, of course, a great record. I mean, it's just personally is my least favorite. I find the production compared to Symbolic a tiny bit, a tiny bit dull, duller. I mean, and that's, um, you know, uh, splitting hairs about the thing. Um, I didn't see death during this time. Uh, but again, the lineup changes then for the album that uh, I cannot find, Symbolic. It's here somewhere uh, amidst, well, it's not quite chaos, but the CDs certainly are not tended to as they used to be. <coughs> you know what it looks like. I'm going to bring up a picture of it. Uh, Symbolic, I think, is a, a, a better album than Individual Thought Patterns. I think it's a bit more 
Um, it's, got, it's just got a slightly more dynamic tone to it. Again, the, the social conscience of the lyrics, it was something at the time that I didn't really um, resonate with, um, kind of as a black metal kid or whatever. But there was something um, about death. And I think it's just the levels of spite and sort of genuine hatred, genuine sort of um, disgust that Chuck took with so many forms of humanity and despite his sort of very mellow, easygoing persona, there, there seemed to be an awful lot of bile. A lot, he had a lot to say um, uh, in the lyrics and I, I kind of really respected that there was an, obviously an awful lot of thought gone into them, but again, an awful lot of genuine sort of naked emotion and sort of, um, you know, emotional tension in the lyrics. Symbolic, I mean, it's it's got to be almost full marks again, right? It's got to be. I mean, um, it's it's an absolutely staggering record. Um, you don't have who the, who the fuck plays on Symbolic then? Um, you've got. I should have really looked this up. Oh, you've got Ralph Santola, Steve DiGiorgio, who are on the tour. Um, you have Florida musicians Kelly Conlon and Bobby Kibler. Okay. You know, he just keeps rotating people. I mean, it shows you the power of his songwriting. <coughs> shows you the power of his songwriting, that it seems that he was able to pick people to um, act as a very good songwriting, um, you, what you want to call it, refraction to his, his talents, to be able to channel them all in such, a, such a, an incredibly um, dynamic way. Symbolic, incredible. Then the band disappear for a while, um, and we get a re-signing to Nuclear Blast, three, moment, three years, um, and we get, and this is where I see Death again, I see them in Vakken in 98, Sound of Perseverance. Now, I fucking love this record. I fucking love this record, even though the inverted cross is creeping up into a, well, it's more like an iron cross now than a, an inverted cross, which I doubt is, in, uh, you know, intentional. But there's a Frederick Nietzsche quote on the back, Whoever fights monsters should see to it that, in the process, he does not become a monster. And when you look into the abyss, the abyss also looks into you, which I have also stolen for a primordial lyric, Born Tonight. <coughs> anyway, Richard Christie um, is also on this record. I once met Richard Christie uh, uh, at, uh, in New York at a kind of a dinner thing, and the first thing I said to him was, you used to play in Acheron, right? And he looked at me in sort of mock horrors, like, my God, you remember Acheron? I went, yep, anti-God, anti-Christ. Anyway. Anyway, this is, um, I think, th this is the final Death album, um, Sound of Perseverance. Well, I will say, between Sound of Perseverance and Symbolic, wherever the fuck it is, Chuck did make Control Denied, a heavy metal record with this um, singer called Tim Amar, um, which I remember liking quite a lot at the time. Tried to re-listen to it a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, it's not bad. Good power metal. Obviously, Chuck gets it's kind of free to just play the guitar and leave this guy very competent, very good um, power metal singer do his do his job, and it's it's not bad. You know, the second album, which was due to be released, then leading up to when he died. Um, you know, that's that's a different story. But the first album, yeah, not bad, Control Denied. Maybe try and find that out. But anyway, that leads us back to this. <coughs> Sound of Perseverance. Now, <coughs> I know some people who really, old Death fans who just can't fucking deal with this record at all. 
Um, it still has, to me, it still has the kind of heavy metal um, chops of the previous records. It's even more so. It's super memorable. Killer riffs. I mean, Spirit Crusher is just a fucking classic. And again, it's just riven through with this this anger that's deep within the record. Now, so live at Vacan in 98, they didn't do much more than stand there. And of course, you know, I wanted to hear Open Casket and old death stuff, but they were never going to play that really when you look back on it, but I was too young and grumpy to really, really place the this era of death in the timeline and where they were going, um, and grew to love the album um, a lot. It's Jim Morris and not um, Scott Burns, which also is interesting to note and takes you back to the Morbid Angel discussion. Morbid Angel always used Jim Morris rather than Scott Burns, but um, his singing gets very high on this record, and that's why I know that's, I know, where um, a lot of people sort of kind of step off the gangplank and jump into the ocean. Uh, with this with this record, I don't know quite that what that means, but it sounded like the right thing to say. Um, again, not not as good as, for me, symbolic, not as good as obviously the first few, but a really great end to um, the, death, the journey with death. Now, that's where it all begins to get a bit sort of tragic. Um, it was, let me just make sure I do not get this wrong, um, December the 13th, 2001, um, Chuck contracted pneumonia, I made a brain aneurysm as I understand, brain cancer, diagnosed with brain cancer, and he returned home whereupon an hour later um, it is stated that he died, uh, tragically, taken way, way, way too soon. Um, I'm sure he had lots and lots of amazing records uh, remaining to be made. Um, a terrible shame. I'm, I'm glad I got to see them uh, twice and got to enjoy them when I was um, young enough for them to be like super fucking seminal. Um, and then you get the kind of grubby kind of uh, fumbling around um, connected to managers, his estate, record labels at the time, trying to sort of make money off his death. I, it certainly seemed like that. Um, there's a really awful-looking uh, bootleg of pre-Scream Bloody Gore demos and Unfinished This, that and the other came out in 2004 and Hammerhard. Doesn't look great. Just looks like a typeface CD. Doesn't really do the legacy of death justice. I and mean, that's not really for me to comment on all that kind of stuff. There's litigation, there's lawyers, there's this, there's that and the other. I mean, look, the the... People were asked to to you know make quotes about about him when he died, um, and you know my quote was just about meeting him and how oddly rude he was to that young woman in the hallway of McGonagall's, um, and there were all these rumors about Chuck's sexuality and all that kind of thing. It's not really for me to comment on that, um, and ultimately, who cares about his sexuality? I did get drunk once with Sean Reinhardt on one of those seventy thousand tons of metal cruise. Uh, ships and um, probably know more than most people about it, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, sadly, both men are, are are dead, and you know it's not for me to say. Um, but again, who fucking cares? No, no fucking doesn't make any difference to anything. The music is what matters the most, and you know never. And what's staggering about death is that throughout all the lineup changes, throughout all the albums, whether you you know resonate with the old death metal bits 
you know, the old death metal stuff the most, which is probably where most of my affection lies, but not solely, up to all the way to the new stuff of Sound of Perseverance and the technical stuff, and the musicians, music stuff. Never once did it ever sound tired or jaded. It always just jumped from the speakers. Like, you listen to, put on symbolic and that dun, 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 the opening riff, and, ah, it's just, there was never a moment where I heard death and went, ah, it doesn't sound like he means it anymore. So, which is incredible when you consider that 20, 30 musicians have probably more been in the band. That there wasn't an album where you ever could say, oh, it sounds like he's dialing it in or phoning it in. Anyway, so, <coughs> um, of course, there's Death to All, which is still going around the place playing those albums. Again, I've seen it a few times, and, you know, some people, I will say something really funny. I was in, I went to see the first, one of the first Death to All um, shows in Dublin, and, um, Death to All is kind of like, has a guy playing the guitar and singing, I don't know who he is, who looks like Chuck, stands like Chuck, plays the same guitar as Chuck, pretty much nails being Chuck. Uh, and these two older death metal guys who obviously had been out of death metal for years and years, didn't even know that Chuck was dead, were standing in the toilet pissing, and one of them goes, the other one, Jesus Christ, Chuck doesn't fucking age, does he? He looks exactly the fucking same. And the other guy goes, yeah, man, it's fucking amazing. Whatever he's doing, he's doing a fucking right. They just thought it was Chuck. I mean, bless them, bless them. Um, uh, but, you know, is there anything wrong with Death to All being out there playing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think it's clear it's not death, it's death to all. <coughs> and it's a way of keeping um, an incredible legacy of music alive. Uh, and why not? And why not? So, there you go, my friends. Um, is Death the very first death metal band? Hard to say. Certainly one of. Um, absolutely seminal. And an interesting musical journey that the man had. All of the other things that he played on. All the other touchstones, reference points, whether it's now going, you know, if you don't know them, now going and checking out Autopsy for you, Sean Reinhardt, all the other people who played in the, the bands at the time of the 90s. Maybe you never listened to King Diamond, I don't know. Maybe you listened listen to uh, Gene Hoagland play Dark Angel, Darkness Descends. You got to, you got to. <coughs> and um, oddly enough, for somebody who was so immersed in black metal and all that kind of scene, yeah, I, death never, you know, dropped off the radar for me. And now in the fullness of time, um, it really is a perfect sort of time to go back and get a moment of clarity again with who they were. Like I said, I prefer Morbid Angel. I prefer other things in the death metal genre, but this canon of those seven albums, seven, isn't it? Yeah, that death released, I mean, there isn't one of them that's below, let's be honest, eight or nine out of ten, realistically. Eight and a half, maybe, for individual thought patterns for me. But there you go. That's it. Call from the grave is death. Let me know in the comments who you think I should do next time, how I'm fucking wrong, how I don't know what I'm talking about, all those kind of things. Get to it. My friends, call from the grave. Death by metal.